It's an interesting uh, event, isn't it, that? I don't know what struck you as you read it. I'm sure you've read it a number of times, if not many times. But I, I do think it's a most amazing story, isn't it? Here is the first person and the last person, as it were, in the history of the universe to overcome death. Totally destroying death. Here's the Lord Jesus Christ, alive and, uh, and being seen by his disciples and the others. And reports going back one to another, what they'd seen. And then Jesus himself appearing. But I think there's something amazing if you just turn to verse 38 and you look at what Jesus said to his disciples. Verse 38 is very, very interesting. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Doubts arise in your hearts. They'd seen him, they'd been with him, they'd lived with him, they knew him, they'd eaten with him, they knew him well. And he was appearing to them. And yet what happens? They have doubts. Some of them just could not believe what had happened. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. His disciples had seen him in person. And yet they had doubts. And I wonder if, uh, if it might be that you could say for yourself, what about doubts and you? Are you really sure? Or do doubts creep into your heart and into your life? Someone once said this uh, to me. They said that my doubts paralyze me. Doubts aren't neutral. They're not just a, a thing that exists. Doubts do damage. They paralyze some folk, not knowing what to do, which way to turn, who to trust. Is God really with me? Can I? All these sorts of questions arise. And doubts can creep into our lives in all sorts of ways. Sometimes when there's illness and we face uh, troubles with our illness, maybe a long-lasting illness, you pray that it be healed, but it's not been healed. And you struggle and you battle. Or maybe it's not just your illness, maybe it's someone you love and their illness and doubts creep in. Maybe you've been praying for a long time for something or someone and nothing has happened yet. And you say, well, is God with me? Does he hear my prayers? Doubts creep in in all sorts of different ways. And another way doubts creep in, I guess, is uh, sometimes when other people say things to you. <laughs> they might say, sometimes they might say something which is a bit cutting. And you start thinking, well, is that really true of me? Am I really like that? Or there's a great book on doubt written by uh, a chap called Os Guinness. And uh, I find it very helpful by having a read of this. And uh, Os Guinness talks about uh, the old comparison game that can give us doubts. In other words, look at her, look at him, look at them, look at that church, look at our church, look at those, look at these. And you start to say, well, everything seems to be okay for them. But it's not for us. And doubts creep in. And so doubt is, uh, is a common... And the fact of the matter is, if you, you are Christian, I'm assuming everyone here is trusting the Lord Jesus. And so the reality for all of us is we have an enemy. And the last thing on earth he wants you to be is to be sure of God. 
He loves it if you doubt. He delights in causing you to doubt. Uh, and, and, and so it's not a surprise, is it, that doubt, lack of certainty, maybe not really convinced about faith, well, about whether we're in the right place, doing the right thing, whatever it might be, those sorts of doubts can be very damaging. And they're intended to be if the, the evil one is the one who is promoting and pushing those things. But the good news is, doubt isn't terminal. <laughs> and the good news is that God understands. And God understands your doubts and my doubts in a very wonderful way. And I've got a few helps here, which may be some help to you, as we uh, think about doubt and being sure from different verses of Scripture. So if you have your Bibles, have a look at James chapter 1 and verse 6. God understands your doubts. Now here's one way in which he helps to explain and, and clarify to us what doubt really is. And I have to say, I'd be very surprised if no one in this room ever doubted. <laughs> I'd be very surprised if we don't have some doubts in some way for all of us in different ways. But God understands these doubts. And uh, in James chapter 1 and verse 6, it says that, Let him ask in faith with no doubting, for one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. So this kind of doubt messes with your mind. It's you're driven and tossed like waves up and down. I am sure. No, I'm not sure. <laughs> One minute you're, everything's great. The next, no, it's not. And, and we can be in that uncertainty. And the description there is very clear, like a wave of the sea. And we can be like that. And that's the impact. Bounced around by whatever challenges we may face, up and down. There's an old saying, isn't there? There's a foot in both camps. You heard that one? That saying, foot in both camps. Well, the Chinese have a better phrase. A foot in both boats. So when you doubt, not only do you have a foot in both camps, you have a foot in both <coughs> boats. And boats tend to go apart, don't they? As you, you've got your foot in them. <laughs> and that's doubt. Yes? Not sure. Doubt is like that. A wave of the sea. It messes with your mind. And it messes with the way in which your, your, uh, your confidence grows or, la or lack of it. Is that you? Do you feel that that describes you? Because sometimes to talk about doubt is something that's poo-pooed. We don't talk about doubt. We're all expected to be 100% sure 100% of the time. But we're not. And God's Word talks about it to help us. Second help is in Mark chapter 11 and verse 23. Just one verse in a in the ongoing passage. But again, it shows that God understands doubt and warns us about it and tries to help us with it. Truly I say to you, says Jesus, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. So doubt isn't just something that's in your mind, makes you up and down like a wave. But it's also in your heart. Doubts are in your heart. And that's where the big damage can be done. 
where the loves of your life, the commitments of your life, everything that flows from your heart is in doubt. So doubt can damage your heart. It can damage your head. It can do damage to your heart, to your real commitments. Do I really believe it? And it's interesting, isn't it? Many churches uh, are struggling with people not returning to worship with them. Many churches have that problem after the, the lockdown, after the COVID events. Is that because they've got doubts in their heart about their real commitments, what's really important to them? Is that you? Or another help, which is uh, takes it a little step uh, further, and uh, it's in Luke chapter 12 and verse 29. And again, this is all... God opening up to you, what is doubt? What's it look like? What does it feel like? What's, what's it really mean? It's not a nebulous nothingness. <laughs> so in Luke chapter, sorry, in uh, Luke 12, the Lord Jesus says this, and do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink, nor be worried. There's an implication here uh, and the implication is that from doubt, we move into worry. And worry begins not just to an anxiety, take over your whole being, don't they? Your mind, your heart, the whole being is taken over. And so God is, uh, the Lord Jesus is saying to you, not only can doubt damage your head and your heart, but it damage your life. Is that you? Is that what doubt has done? you or then in Luke chapter 24 and verse 38 we've got the reading which we've just had the Lord Jesus says why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your heart now the word for doubts in this case is from the original Greek is actually a word that indicates a sort of battle a mental battle here's what I see here's what I'm I really believe this we heard that Jesus had been executed he was done by the experts they know how to execute anyone on the cross they sort it all out they do it all the time They've, and Jesus died he's been buried but here he is in front of us <laughs> how can that be and things that seem impossible suddenly they've happened and the mind, our minds, battle against that. Well, is that you? Do you have this sort of mental battle going on? Can it really be true? Can I really believe against all that's outside there in the world that all this really is true? And then, finally, just to show that God understands doubt, uh, there's an example which you'll be well aware of, and probably many times heard many sermons on it, but we'll go back to it anyway. And it's in Matthew chapter 14 and verse 31. Peter is, uh, has been in the boat. He's seen Jesus uh, and he now wants to get out of the boat and walk on the water. And, uh, and that's a remarkable thing, you know. We often criticize him for what happened later, but actually it's a wonderful thing that he, he took this great step of faith. This is what uh, verse 31 reads like. And when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. 
Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? He wavered. He hesitated. All he could see when he got out of the boat, and you can't blame him, can you? All he could see were the waves and the wind. And there he is on the water, walking on the water. But suddenly he can't see Jesus. All he can see is the wind and the waves. And he doubts. Is that you? Sometimes we go through really incredibly tough times. No one else really knows the battle you've had. No one else really understands the struggles you've had. You don't feel you can even talk about them. They're so deep. Connected with whatever part of our lives, a long time ago or fairly recently. And we doubt. And we struggle. And, uh, and in the midst of all these vicious attacks... Our faith can be impacted in a very negative way because we, become, we begin to doubt. Peter doubted, didn't he? But it's interesting. Do you spot the, the wonderful thing? The Lord Jesus doesn't, doesn't berate him, although there is that comment of you of little faith, but he puts his hand out and he reaches out. And that's the second thing I want to say. Jesus understands your doubt my doubt but the other thing that's really also wonderfully true is that Jesus deals very gently with anyone who has doubts and so if you have doubts be sure that he will deal gently with you I'll just take a few examples uh, Mark chapter 9 and verse 24 is the story of the desperate father his son had been ill from virtually birth and uh, sometimes had thrown himself into fires imagine being a parent of a child like that and and uh, he'd made the enormous step of coming to Jesus, well, coming to his disciples first, but his disciples couldn't heal the boy. And so now, the man is with the Lord Jesus, and he raises questions about it, if it's possible. And this is what we read in Mark chapter 9, verse 24. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Now, I think it's fair to say that the father was being very hard on himself. He's actually saying he has unbelief. So if I were to ask you, what's the opposite of belief and faith what would the opposite of it be unbelief yeah. not doubt doubt is not the opposite of belief unbelief is so what's unbelief well let me give you an example uh, we, we were having a Christianity explored back in our church some time back and a guy came in very honest and very open guy, he was an atheist and he said that was his position and so through Christianity Explored week on week we began to share with him the evidence that Jesus Christ is alive and, and that the gospel is real and that people's lives are changed in, through the gospel and Jesus is the king of kings and look, well, everything we said whatever evidence we put forward no, can't believe that not possible 
And he'd again and again and again. No. And after a few weeks of this, <laughs> one of the people in the group asked a question. And the question was this, and it was a very interesting question. So what would convince you? What would convince you? And you know, he rocked back in his chair, and suddenly that question zipped him wide open. He thought for a while, and then he said, nothing would convince me. I will not believe. I don't care what you say to me, what evidence you give me. I will not believe. That's unbelief. And that's a terribly, terribly dangerous place to be. Because once we say we don't believe, then God says, okay, into eternity you will not have me. There's a heaven to be gained, there's a hell to be shunned. And unbelief is a guarantee of separation from God for eternity. Now this father said, I believe, help my unbelief. But the reality is, he's just got serious doubts. How do I know that? Because Jesus healed his son. If he'd been unbelieving, it would never have happened. And so here, the father sees his son healed. And he is the one who has doubts. And what does Jesus do? Does he say, well, you should know who I am, you know, you, and give him a, a telling up? No. He heals his son. The Lord Jesus is gentle those who struggle with doubt and he deals and helps us with them or the second example you would not be surprised if I turned you to John chapter 20 and verse 25 and we read about Thomas who of course has that curious name Thomas the doubter it should be Thomas the honest shouldn't it really but there you go Thomas the doubter and this is this, this is what we read the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails placed in, it might place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. That's interesting, isn't it? I will never believe. That's a very harsh statement. But was it true? Well, it wasn't. It couldn't have been unbelief because he'd been honest. It couldn't have been unbelief because the Lord Jesus met with him. And when the Lord Jesus met with him, and he, he was presented with the evidence. And he makes that incredible statement, my Lord and my God. The Lord Jesus is gentle with those who have doubts. Or the third example, and I find this the saddest example, and... Uh, and saddest by a long way, really. I don't know if you share that. Maybe we can talk about it later on. But it's John the Baptist. In Matthew chapter 11 and verse 1, we read these words. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to them, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended in me. John the Baptist is in the teeth of a gale. 
He's in the hands of Herod, that tyrant of a king. And we know that his fate will be sealed in uh, days or weeks to come. And so in the middle of all that, he who has seen Jesus, who grew up with Jesus, who baptized Jesus, who heard God speak, he has doubts. So if you haven't, don't let it get to you and say, I shouldn't have doubts and start beating yourself up. It happens. And John has doubts. But what does Jesus do? Does he say, well, you should know. Hey, how about that time and then this time? And didn't you? No. Jesus says, tell him what's happened. Give him the evidence. And he sends the information that's needed to transform poor John in this terrible circumstance to one who is sure that he is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He quotes scripture, of course, to do that as well. So, here's the point I'm trying to make. I may make it weakly, poorly, but nevertheless, is what I'm trying to say. God understands your doubt. Jesus deals gently with those who have doubts. And I've given you three examples. So here's the final question. What, so what do you do about it? <laughs> what do you do? What do you do? Well, I have grandchildren, uh, seven at, at the moment. Uh, and I want those grandchildren to be sure that we love them. I want them to be really sure, not to doubt it, but to be sure. And so we tell them frequently, we love you. We try to give them different gifts at different times, you know, with the typical grandparents. Try not to spoil them, but there you go. We are the ones who, at, at different times, is that whose phone? Is that mine? No, nope, we're all right. Oh, okay, that's right, that's fine. Just as long as it's not mine, I forgot to switch it on. Uh, so, so here you've got uh, grandchildren who you want to be sure. And if we want our children and grandchildren to be sure that we love them, how much more God? He wants you to be sure. And so what do we do? Well, we need to listen to God's word. When we get doubts, and no one in this room knows really what your doubts or your heart is really like, your head, then we need to be honest, we need to be open, but we also need to listen to God and hear him speak. He wants you to be sure. How many times does he say in scripture, he loves you? I will never leave you or forsake you. That's strong stuff, isn't it? I will never leave you or forsake you. Or here's a few examples. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, you know it well. There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. None. Not a little bit. Not a minute amount. Absolutely what could God say that's more reassuring than that? Well, here's another verse. In, in Psalm, Psalm 5, talk, God talks about the multitude of his mercy. Mercies. Multitude. So it's not just a little bit of mercy. It's the multitude of his mercies. His mercy is not receiving what you deserve. And there's a multitude of them. Or another example in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 7. God talks about abundantly pardoning. So it's not just a little. He abundantly pardons us because he abundantly loves us. He lavishes his love upon us. 
I used to visit a school in, uh, when I was working in Newport. And it was a fascinating place to go and visit. It was a small school, and the head teacher was quite a wonderful lady. But I think she also had her eye on keeping me out of the classroom to know what was going on. But whenever I visited and I'd sit in her room, she'd always have this wonderful cup of, cup of tea or coffee, which I can't remember which, and then she'd make a piece of toast. Now, I don't know what the, your toast is like, but her toast was about that thick. And when she put butter on it, not like we do in our house, scrape it on, scrape it off, we're on a diet. Oh, no. She got the butter and she lavished it so that when you bit into it, the butter would just drip down the side of your mouth. And I, at those days, I had to wear a suit all the time, so I was always worried that I was going to have to go home and change my tie, whatever, because of this stuff. Now, here's the point. She lavished butter on that toast. Far more than just the basic need. She la and, and God lavishes his love on us. He wants us to know that he loves us. He'll never leave us, nor forsake us. And we can be sure about him. I wonder, have you got any verses you'd like to shout out that help you remember that Jesus Christ is King of Kings, Lord, and loves you? Any other verses that strike you? Shout them out. Can you think of any? Never can when you're always asked the question. Yeah. Uh, you're, um, yeah. Father and the Son are in his hands, and nothing can ever separate us from his love. Yeah. Anything else? Maybe you can tell me on the door. <laughs> but here's the point. When we have doubts, we move away from listening to God. We stop reading the Bible. And sometimes, you know, I, I doubt it's here, but there are some churches where the big thing is we'll read the Bible in a year. And you start reading and you get to the end of January and you've already lost the plot, you know, and you just sort of get disheartened. And, and the Bible isn't really core to your daily life and experience well, well I don't know what you're, you're like and probably you all read the Bible in a year and it's wonderful for you but if it isn't can I just challenge you to get back to God's word just to read a little of it and listen to what God is saying those little pieces can be where God intervenes helps you, speaks to you reminds you of all of his love so the first thing then is to read God's word and uh, then the second thing is to remember God's mercy and his kindness to us. You probably know the psalm pretty well, but it's a wonderful psalm. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. In other words, it's possible, if not probable, that we will forget all the goodness that he's given to us. We'll just forget our doubts will, will bring a mist over our heads and hearts and souls and we'll just forget all the good things that God's done for us. Forget not all his benefits. We need to remind ourselves of God's goodness. I have a friend who every prayer that she prays, she puts in a book. And, uh, and when God answers prayer, she highlights it. And when she has her doubts, do you know what she does? She goes to one of those books from years and years and years of, uh, of recording in her little journal, 
She opens it up and says, all of it highlighted, every single prayer answered. And the next page, and the next page, and the next page, and the next page. She's no super spiritual person, but she's decided she's going to remember God's goodness. And I just want to challenge you to myself, what do you do to do that? I have a book, and sometimes my little book would start with, I don't know that I'm going to get through today. I just cannot see how I can possibly survive the day. Do you have days like that? Well, I do. And the wonderful thing is, three days later, when you're still alive, and it really wasn't the crisis you expected, whoa, God's got us through. He's helped us. He's never failed us yet. So remember. So first thing is, listen to God's word. Make sure you do listen to God's word. And then the second thing is, remember his goodness. Remember his kindnesses. Forget not, says the psalmist, all his benefits. So we need to listen and read and remember. But not only does God uh, tell us how much he loves us, he shows us, doesn't he, how much he loves us. Let me read a little bit about uh, our faith. Our faith and the love of God is rooted in history. He's given us his most precious son, Jesus Christ. He speaks in a no, Jesus speaks in a way no one else has ever spoken. His wisdom, his purity, his total integrity, no lies, no pretense, no hypocrisy. He was hammered by the religious leaders for his parties. Oh, that's interesting. And, but his parties were with the downtrodden, the rejects of society. He lives a life without any of the failures, selfishness, nasty comments, unforgiveness, simply kindness and love to the poor, the needy, forgotten and downtrodden people like us. He lives a perfect life. And then he goes to the cross. And at the cross, he bears our sin in his own body on the tree. We see the love of Christ demonstrated. We see the love of God in front of our eyes as we look at that cross. And then, he's risen from the dead. He's alive. And it was Ascension Day, wasn't it, on Sunday, so I'm told. And Jesus ascended into heaven. He's there now. The whole cycle, he came from heaven. And now he's returned to heaven. He sits at the right hand of the Father. God doesn't just tell us about his love, he shows us his love because it's rooted in history. It really happened. So we need to listen, remember, read and remember and then look to see the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying any of these things in and of themselves will solve every doubt you have, but they are ways of helping. And interestingly, if you turn to the book of Jude... There's something there that uh, gives some helpful advice of what we're to do. And uh, I wonder if someone could read out to us verses 20 and 21 of Jude. Jude 20 and 21. Someone like to read those to us?
Okay, thank you. So what does it say there? Keep yourselves in the love of God. See, it's one thing to say, oh, God will do all this. No. Jude is saying, there are things you need to do. Amongst them are these things that I've mentioned to you, central, the word of God. Listening to what God says to us. Opening our hearts to hear what he wants to say. Being people who remember all his goodness to us. Those of us who then look, try and look and see what the Lord Jesus Christ is doing, what his life and how wonderful he is. Keep yourself in the love of God. Keep yourself. It's a job for you to do. It's not only you. None of us can do this without the work of the Holy Spirit. We know that. But it's a role we have to do. And so what is it that keeps you in the love of God? Think back over the years. Think back over the days. What is it that's brought you to know that love of God in your heart? What is it? And find those things that help you. And do them. And do them. Sometimes it's fellowship, isn't it? Sometimes it's meeting in church. Sometimes it's singing hymns or even listening to hymns. Maybe even something on YouTube that blesses you or helps you. Having a chat, listening to God's word here and all the stuff that's on video linked to Kladak Evangelical Church. You know, all that stuff, whatever it is that helps you, do it. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Would someone like to read the next verse to us? Verse 20. interesting <laughs> as soon as you hear keep yourselves in the love of God have mercy on those who doubt you know sometimes in Christian circles people can get clobbered for saying they doubt absolutely clobbered what on earth are you doing doubt you shouldn't doubt and you sort of get a guilt complex and it gets even worse you know you think oh no maybe I shouldn't and look, look how strong they are and they don't yeah, don't compare yourselves you have doubts, you tell God about them. I don't know if this will help you, but, uh, but one, one thing I found quite helpful was to look at uh, doubt and courage. So here's the question. Courage, what's the opposite of courage? Fear? Fear? Good try, try again. <laughs> the opposite of courage. Sorry? Discourage, yeah? Okay, but there's something that's really way into the opposite. There's a courageous person, and here's someone who is, they are a coward. Cowardice is the opposite, see? There's courage, there's cowardice. And where does fear come in? In the middle. And fear, well, sorry, courage means nothing if fear isn't there. Do you see that? If I'm afraid, and yet I still go into the battle, I'm afraid, yet I still turn up for that difficult meeting, I'm afraid, but I still go on, I'm still courageous, that's what courage is. Courage is highlighted by fear, because it's an overcoming of fear. Cowardice is saying, oh, no way, that's it, not going there, not going to do that. No attacks for me. Look at those guns. <laughs> and all the things they're going to say. Cowardice and courage. And fears in the middle. 
belief and unbelief and doubts in the middle. And so what happens? Well, in a major way, we overcome our doubt through believing. Because we hear God's word, we read God's word, we remember his kindness, we see the wonder of the Lord Jesus, and so much more. We keep ourselves in the love of God, and we have mercy on those who doubt. Mercy on ourselves, mercy on others. So we try to help, because Jesus understands your doubt. And what's wonderful is, he's very gentle as he deals with our doubts.